0: a new seven-part series from CBC Podcasts, available now. This is a CBC podcast. Hi. Hi. How are you, Ben. You. Nice to
1: meet you. Nice to meet you too.
2: I've made the two-hour drive to Port Dover, Ontario, to meet with Ben Hall, a principal scientist at Roche, one of the world's big five pharmaceutical companies. He's an expert in NMDA receptors, the part of the brain impacted by Bryson's rare disease. It's
1: a beautiful house. Welcome to Port
2: Dover. Yeah, thank you. Ben lives and works in Switzerland, so when another researcher first connects us, I try to set up a call. But in a happy coincidence, he grew up in Ontario, and he invites me to meet with him here while he's home visiting his parents.
1: You wanna come in? Do You wanna have coffee or something?
2: In a couple of weeks, my wife Laura and I will head to Boston, the biotech capital of the world. But first, I wanna ask Ben's advice on how to get pharma and biotech companies more interested in grin disorders. And he tells me they already are. For confidentiality reasons, Ben can't say if Roche is working on GRIN therapies. But he says it's reasonable to assume that most big pharma companies are already focused on NMDA receptors and their connection to synapses in the brain. And not because of kids like Bryson, who has a single-letter mutation in his GRIN1 gene, but because so many other diseases seem to be connected to NMDA receptors. Everything from schizophrenia and Alzheimer's to depression and chronic pain.
1: So a synapse is the uh, contact point between two neurons. This is where information is transferred from cell to cell or from brain region to brain region. So a lot of these diseases with larger patient population are actually diseases of the synapse. Um, and and that's where the NMDA receptor and its signaling complex is a very important uh, regulator of this, and therefore targeting it is would be um, of strong therapeutic benefit in different conditions.
2: Ben says drugs that can be shown to help a handful of grandkids could potentially help thousands of people with these more common conditions and vice versa. I'm planning to go to Boston and meet with a bunch of the companies there. Do you have any advice for me in terms of how to approach those meetings? Um, What's always good to remember is that in
1: all of these companies, the scientists who are working on these things are ultimately interested in the biology and, 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 and no matter how small the problem is in terms of the number of patients, it's a very large biological question, it's a very interesting biological question, and I think it's just getting them engaged in the, in the science is the best way to approach them because right. as, as soon as a scientist has a problem, they want to solve it.
2: I'm Keith MacArthur, and this is Unlocking Bryson's Brain a podcast about my son, his rare disease, and our family's search for a cure. I've told you before that traveling with Bryson is a challenge, but traveling without him is almost impossible. My wife, Laura, and I, we know our sanity, and maybe even our marriage, depends on getting time away from the Relentless pressures of parenting a kid with severe disabilities. But the logistics and preparations required to get things in order for a night away means we're reluctant to even try. We've managed five or six mini vacations without the kids over the past 12 years, mostly single nights. And for our 20th anniversary, a one week Mediterranean cruise. That involved cobbling together help from Bryson's caregiver, Edna, Connor, Laura's parents, aunts and uncles, and various other part-time caregivers and babysitters. That trip made us realize that as helpful as our parents try to be, it's not fair to ask people in their seventies to help with a 75 pound 12 year old who can't walk by himself and has these violent episodes. Edna, has agreed to look after Bryson while well, we're in Boston for five straight days and nights. It's such a rare luxury to get this much time alone that we're practically giddy as we board the plane. Is now out of gate three. Said gate three, but they're A, B, C, and
0: D. Using door D and making a right to gate
2: three. The doors are not gates. Got it. Thank you. Thank you. I printed out scientific journals and newspaper clippings about the companies and researchers we're meeting with. We go over these on the plane. So here's an interesting thing when I'm reading this about this base editing, right? So what he does and what scheduled does. It says it converts a CG base Please remain seated with a
3: seatbelt securely fastened and cabin baggage secured until the aircraft has reached a final stop.
2: The greater Boston area is divided by the Charles River. To the south side of the river is Boston proper, where the Tea Party took place and the Boston Red Sox play baseball. To the north of the Charles is Cambridge, home to two of the greatest universities in the world, Harvard and MIT, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. The blocks surrounding these institutions are home to hundreds of pharma and biotech companies. These range from pharmaceutical giants like Biogen with thousands of employees, to tiny startups with just a handful. So we pass by Biogen, Novartis. There's another Novartis building there. And there's, do you see, is that the Novartis building? There's a building over there that's got like a silo that's got like an image of DNA on top of it, do you see? We're right in the center of the,
3: the biotech headquarters of the U.S., maybe the world. Well, um, I mean, Cambridge used to be this uh, place that you know they had lots of warehouses, very gritty industrial town. And obviously, you had Harvard and you had MIT, but it it has become a mecca, much because of those two schools, uh, for uh, biotech firms.
2: That's Jonathan Saltzman, who writes about the biotech industry for the Boston Globe.
3: And today, you walk around Kendall Square, which is the nerve center of Cambridge, and you see all these buildings with the names of all these strange-sounding companies. And it's that whole area probably has more brainiacs per square foot than, you know, maybe anywhere in the United States. And so for, for parents like us that really want to meet with experts and find a cure, this is the right place to come? Yeah. And not only is it the fact that you all have all these drug-making firms you also have some of the um, the country's uh, most uh, uh, revered hospitals.
2: Over the next five days, we meet with executives at 11 different biotech companies. We meet in boardrooms named after Galileo, who's known as the father of modern science, and Naboo, a planet from Star Wars. This is truly a place where science fact meets science fiction. We've put together a presentation deck crammed with everything we know about Grin, including an estimate that there could be five to 10,000 people with Grin Disorder in the US and Canada, though most haven't been diagnosed yet. We're also shamelessly tugging on heartstrings by including the cutest pictures of Bryson we can find, along with a collage of the beautiful faces of about 30 kids with Grin Disorder. One of the people I really want to meet with when we're in Boston is Dr. David Liu of the Broad Institute, a genetics-focused research facility that's a joint partnership of Harvard and MIT. He's been dubbed the inventor of CRISPR 2.0 because of something he invented called base editing. Base editing is a simpler and more precise version of CRISPR that seems particularly well-suited to kids like Bryson, where a rare disease is caused by a single letter mutation. Base editing could allow researchers to swap out the errant A in Bryson's grin 1 gene with the proper G
3: Thank
4: oh <laughs> you. Hi there. Hi, how are you Good. How are you? Good David, Good Keith. Great to meet you. Nice to meet you. Hi, I am Laura. Hi, Laura. Nice, nice to meet, meet you.. you.
5: Thank
2: you. Wow. David has a collection of gemstones on display in his large corner office, along with a sculpture of Iron Man. So, um, Bryson is almost...
4: So, there's nothing recorded now? Is that uh, yeah, I'll stop
2: it. He asks that we keep the tape recorder off for most of the conversation so he can speak freely. We tell him about Bryson and grin disorders, and he tells us about his base editing technology. In theory, it could work. His team hasn't figured out all the letter swaps yet, but A to G is one of the ones they've mastered. But it's complicated. For the tool to work, there also needs to be the right set of letters in the sequence ahead of the spelling error they wanna fix. He offers to take a closer look at Bryson's DNA to see if the right sequence is there. He also suggests some other potential paths we should pursue. We tell him Bryson's disorder might result from the fact that there's not enough magnesium to block the flow of the NMDA receptor. David wonders if it might be possible to deliver magnesium to his brain cells through a portable pump in his spine. He looks at Bryson's genetics report and notes that Bryson's mutation is heterozygous. We all have two copies of each gene, one that we inherit from our mother and one from our father, and Bryson's genetic spelling error, it's only in one of those genes. So David suggests we explore a different kind of gene therapy, one that would boost production of the good version or suppress the bad. I make notes to follow up on all of this. David tells us he gets emails every week from parents seeking help for their kids with rare genetic diseases. He makes time to reply to all of them. I ask him if he'll go on tape to talk about what he tells parents like us.
4: My main goal of uh, communicating with the parents is to just try to inform them that there is a very long, complicated process. Uh, even if we have a molecular machine that can directly con- uh, correct the mutation that might be causing their child's uh, uh, condition, there's still a lot of science and a lot of work needed to translate uh, that observation into uh, therapy that's ready for people. And of course, you know, it's because uh, uh, doing experimental treatments on human patients is is such a high stakes uh, endeavor and uh, that we want to make sure that we've done everything possible to maximize the, the safety and the potential
2: efficacy of the treatment. Based on what you know about Bryson and other patients with these single gene GRIN disorders, Is there hope?
4: I think there's always hope because betting against the advances of the life sciences has never historically proven to be a good bet.
2: (laughs) As he's walking us out, David stops by his lab and hands one of his researchers a copy of Bryson's Genetic Report so they can figure out if base editing technology could work at this spot in the genome. If it works, he says we can send him some of Bryson's cells for preliminary tests. Laura and I debrief on the meeting outside the Broad Institute. So we just finished our meeting with David Liu, Dr. David Liu at the Broad Institute. Wow.
5: Yeah, amazing. First of all, always learning new things and I'm just amazed at how humble and generous these researchers are with their time. And the hope that he gave us, right? So we learned about a new opportunity, potentially, for curing Bryson.
2: I feel like if this were our only meeting this week, it would have made the trip to Boston worthwhile. (laughs)
5: Completely worthwhile, yes.
2: As we walk to our next meeting, I check my email to find a note from Denise the Grin mom who invited me to be on the board of Cure Grin. She tells me Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg and his wife Priscilla Chan, who's a pediatrician, are giving away $450,000 grants to 10 different rare disease foundations. The grants are intended to help groups build out global research networks, attracting scientists, doctors, and biotech to their cause. This is the kind of opportunity that could help us generate massive awareness for our relatively unknown disease. I called Denise and she says she'll take a first stab at the application while I'm in Boston, but she'll need me to help out when I return. It's going to be a lot of work, but I'm good with that. With what I'm learning here, I'm prepared to do whatever it takes to find a cure. Thank
6: you. Hi, I'm George. Hi. Good Hi. Hi. George. I'm Laura. Hi, how are you? Good. Good. You. Come on in. Thank you.
2: George Church is a Harvard geneticist, molecular engineer, and chemist. He's one of several scientists credited with developing CRISPR. And when the Nobel Committee gets around to awarding prizes for that revolutionary gene editing tool, he's in the mix to get one. George's office is filled with sculptures, paintings, and stuffed toys. Woolly mammoths. One of his research projects involves using CRISPR to reverse engineer these ancient beasts from elephants. And this isn't a hypothetical exercise. George is planning to actually create living, breathing woolly mammoths.
6: Project's coming along okay. I mean, considering it's a side project, it's it's going quite quickly, but it'll it'll be a while. <laughs>
2: so, so you're working on on, on living elephants now.
6: We're working on uh, elephant cells, okay. um, so, um, we, and we've done almost everything we need to do in pigs, so we know the, the procedure. We've got a whole herd of, of pigs that have been heavily edited. I mean, your son just needs one edit, but these pigs need uh, 80 or so. And so, uh, so we know how to do that. The, the main difference is a pig gestation period is, is three months and three weeks, while an elephant is 22 months.
2: We tell George about Bryson and the different possibilities we've explored this week to find a cure. So we did. We met with David Liu. Yeah. That yeah, that certainly seems like has promise.
6: Yeah, that, that would that would be my top candidate, really. Yeah. The base editing.
5: Yeah. How far off do you think that is in our current landscape?
0: With
6: well, it's it's been extraordinarily de-risked by other gene therapies and, uh, and other lesser, I would say, less precise uh, uh, editing. So mo- Most things that pass for editing these days are actually what I call gene- genome vandalism. Uh, and uh, David likes it mm-hmm. when I say that because it's, it's, it's supportive of, of the more precise uh, base editing that, that David and I have uh, championed for, for a while. Um, do you have the, the 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 adjacent sequence? I mean, this is just a G to A. Do you have the the sequence itself? Just looking at the sequence. That's
2: Thank you. No. Yeah.
6: Yeah. I assume you're going to edit this yeah. <laughs> this yeah. podcast. <laughs> yeah. Torn between uh, interacting with you verbally and figuring out what the sequence is. No, I appreciate Thank that. You. Yeah.
2: The conversation stops for literally five minutes, while George studies the genetic code to determine if Bryson's variant could be corrected by the base editing technology.
6: So it's nucleotide position eighteen fifty-eight. Well, I think this might take me a little bit longer. Than, uh, oh. was position 620 in the protein out of 922.
2: It's kind of a surreal experience to sit in the office of this probably future Nobel laureate while he puts everything else on hold to do detective work for Bryson. But decoding the sequence is more trouble than George was expecting. He says he'll figure it out after we leave. Hello
6: like that. They have, so the brain is
5: normal. Yeah, that's what
6: I would expect. Yeah, yeah. that's good. That's yeah. good. Very good news, I think. And it's just probably quite reversible. Uh, yeah, that's okay. would be my guess. Be great yeah.
5: for us to think that that could be reversible. So,
6: I mean, you still got the years lost where the sure. where the learning, but there's all sorts of examples of people who make up for you know lost time
2: learning. Yeah. What What do you think will be the biggest barrier for getting curious to to you know people with these rare genetic conditions. Is it going to be the science, or is it going to be funding? or
6: Well, okay, it's not the science. Uh, I, mean, I mean, you're fortunate in that you quickly got to a cause and a lot is known. Uh, so the big barriers will be safety and efficacy testing. And I think the biggest science, if you want to call it science or engineering hurdle is delivery. And that varies tremendously on w- what tissue is affected.
2: Delivery, meaning scientists already know how to correct Bryson's cells in a Petri dish? Correcting all the cells in his brain? That's a whole other challenge. So if you have
6: like something in the liver, it's super easy to just do an uh, injection and it goes to the liver. If it's the retina, you, you have access to that. Um, and so, so some of the first things in the pipeline for gene therapy and and gene editing are things in the liver and the blood and the the retina. Um, Brain is not, I mean, there's no tissue that's truly inaccessible because you've got surgical and various methods. It's just if you need to deliver it to a large number of cells at close to 100%, you can stick a needle in, which will address uh, you know, a million cells near that needle, but then as it diffuses out away from the needle, uh, you aren't necessarily hitting all of them. Um, so, uh, I think that's probably the main thing: is delivery.
2: George's team can use CRISPR to make 80 edits to a pig's DNA, but a single edit that could safely unlock Bryson's brain? Nobody knows how to do that yet. Yeah, and it's it's almost amazing to me that, you know. The the, the delivery, like that seems so like that seems mechanical. Like that seems like it should be the easy part compared to this amazing thing we've already figured out how to do with gene editing and base editing. Yeah.
6: Well, you can think of is like the base editing is somebody comes to your door and plugs in your television. That's why it wasn't working, right? The delivery is you've got to do that to every household in America, right? Right. So you've got three hundred fifty million people knock on your door plugging in your television set that's that's the analogy so, it's so delivery it's it very now. it's very easy to do it once <laughs> uh, it's very hard to do it for every home in America
2: and it's an even bigger number than that there are a hundred billion cells in the human brain and we don't know how many we would need to edit to make a meaningful difference for Bryson thank you so much yeah sure Thank and you. And I'll, so
6: I'll get you this. Uh, let me just take a quick picture of this. Oh, you can have that. Oh, we I can have, have this. Have, yeah, yeah I'll get you, probably later today, I'll get you the, the full sequence context. But I think we have the answer, which is just it's, it's an isolated day, which is best case scenario. Wow, that's great.
5: Thank yeah. you. Thank mm-hmm. you for it gives us hope, right? Yeah. For him and.
2: Yeah. That's great. He was just like looking up that stuff while we were there. I know. That was amazing.
5: And when he didn't find it, he said he would send it to us. Yes. But also seemed pretty positive about the fact that it was going to be okay.
2: Yeah. Someday.
5: Someday okay with me.
2: When we get back to the hotel that night, I get an email from George. Dear Keith, it was very moving talking with you and your wife today. Here is your son's allele. The rest of the lengthy email contains hundreds of letters of genetic code. Laura and I are not able to decipher it, not at first. But we later learn that this is George's way of confirming that the DNA sequence around Bryson's mutation is set up nicely for base editing. In theory, Dr. David Liu's discovery could work on Bryson's DNA. But I can't stop thinking about George's concerns around delivery. What if CRISPR lives up to its promise and leads to cures for diseases of the blood, eyes, and liver? But Bryson is left behind, because scientists just can't figure out how to deliver edited genes to the brain.
0: Hi there, I'm Gavin Crawford. I'm a writer, an actor, and a comedian. And for the last eight or nine years, I have been navigating life with my mother's increasing dementia. Has it been sad? Yeah. Has it been funny? Also, yeah. That's what my brand new podcast series, Let's Not Be Kidding, is about. It's the true story of my life as a comedian, my mom, and dementia. Let's Not Be Kidding, with me, Gavin Crawford. A new seven-part series from CBC Podcasts, available now.
2: Not all potential cures have this delivery challenge to the same building we were in yesterday for our meeting with Sarepta. That's great. Right.
5: Was that only yesterday? Yeah. Oh my
2: gosh. <laughs> <laughs> we also meet with a pair of Cambridge companies developing drugs that target the NMDA receptor. <laughs> what are you guys' same or like what company are you guys with? Cure Grin? Cure, like, cure See, a disease? Yeah. Grin, like, smile? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Remember how I talked about two broad categories of grin disorders? One where the NMDA receptor is whispering and another where it's yelling? These companies are developing drugs that can turn up the volume of a whisper or turn it down in a yell.
6: So maybe, you know, in in a world of simple numbers, instead of having 100 receptors, you have 20. If you can make those 20 receptors respond five times more than they are you could get back to the function of 100 receptors. That's a very, very simple way of thinking about it, but that's, that's the way we look at positive modulation. We're trying to improve the function of those receptors.
2: Al Robichaud is the chief science officer of Sage Therapeutics. In 2019, Sage won FDA approval for its drug Zulreso, a nasal spray approved to treat postpartum depression. Zulreso targets GABA receptors, But Sage is developing other compounds that target NMDA receptors. These compounds could potentially improve a range of NMDA-related diseases, from Alzheimer's to schizophrenia to single-gene grin disorders like Bryson's. These drugs might be the best near-term solution to help treat kids like Bryson. But while they don't have the same delivery challenges as CRISPR, they're not a perfect solution. Unlike gene editing, they would require a strict regimen of medicine. Miss a dose, and bad things could happen. Another potential difficulty? Not all of Bryson's NMDA receptors are broken. Because he has one healthy GRIN1 gene, scientists believe some of the receptors are working perfectly normally. So if the drug tries to turn up the volume on all the receptors, that might fix the broken ones, but disrupt the balance in the ones that are already working.
6: These are really delicate systems, yeah. I believe. And you know, like anything, if you tip the seesaw in one direction a little bit too much, it, tipping it a little, a little bit is fine. Tipping it too much, not so good. And, and a lot of it is oftentimes it's just that circuitry is out of balance. And it's a matter of, of getting the circuitry back in balance. Right.
2: Our days are packed with meetings, but we take time to relax during the evenings. We go to a Red Sox game and take a ghost tour of historic Boston and dine on clam chowder and seafood. We also time our visit to Boston so we can attend a conference on rare disease research that includes participation from both industry and other rare disease associations.
6: Good morning, everyone.
2: That's Robert Metz, senior vice president of pharma company Horizon.
6: Access to these life-saving medications are under attack globally. Um, and especially in the rare disease community. We know that all these issues too well, pricing and reimbursement, innovation and precision medicine, the cost of conducting research, small patient communities.
2: He's speaking like a patient advocate, but I have to remind myself that he's here representing industry. Patient groups and industry have a symbiotic relationship. They provide us with clues in our search for a cure and we provide them with clues about where to invest their time and resources as they try to invent and market new cures and therapies. We tell other rare disease parents at the conference how great our meetings with biotech are going, and they're happy for us, but they also point out that these early meetings with researchers are a bit like a honeymoon phase. Things can get more contentious down the road when it comes time for clinical trials. And the better things go, the dicier these relationships can get, especially if a cure is approved and it comes time to price and market the drug. For us, the bottom line is about saving our kids. For them, it's financial. I ask everyone I meet what cure grin needs to do to get industry even more interested in researching cures for grin disorders, and invariably, they mention four things. The first is animal models. So the mice that Amy Ramsey and Graham Collingridge are building at the University of Toronto are a great start. The second is to know that we have a list of patients who might be willing to sign up for clinical trials when a drug is ready for testing. The third is a research study that tracks how symptoms change over time. This provides a baseline against which they can compare treatments. And the fourth is what scientists call biomarkers, early indications that a therapy is working. Back when I had kidney disease, The main biomarker was creatinine. When my kidneys weren't doing their job, creatinine levels spiked in my blood. But within hours of receiving my new kidney, they plummeted back down to the normal range. We don't know of any biomarkers for GRIN disorders yet, but finding one would make it much easier for researchers to know if new treatments are working, long before other symptoms start to improve. With real estate prices out of control in the Cambridge area, some companies are locating a little further afield. So we board an MBTA bus one morning to Bedford, a town about 45 minutes northwest of Boston.
5: We are getting off at Great Road and Shawshank.
2: We're going to meet with executives at Homology Medicines, another gene therapy company. So that should be soon, now, huh? Really soon. Cool. It's <gasps> right? yeah. just a little bit of a bus crash into the vehicle in front of us. There's no real damage to the bus or the car it crashed into, but the driver needs to wait for an inspector to arrive. So we hop in a cab to make sure we get to our meeting on time. We meet with Homology CEO and chief science officer, When we tell them about the bus crash, they order us a cab and insist on picking up the tab for our return trip to Boston. They don't want me to record the conversation, but say it's okay for me to talk about it in the podcast. Here's Laura and me on the cab ride home. So the big thing that came up is that, like in some of the meetings yesterday, people were talking about how, you know, we sort of have the science to change the gene but we don't know how to actually deliver it to the brain right like so delivering gene therapies or gene editing a lot easier in the blood or or other organs potentially but the brain is a real challenge these guys they've actually got some technology that they think works seems to work really well um in early trials at delivering therapies to the brain
5: yeah so that problem that seemed to me yesterday like a big problem around the delivery system um we actually may have an opportunity to, to use this delivery system or trial anyway. This delivery system um, for whatever uh, you know therapy that we think might work uh, through the mice model, and that could happen, you know, relatively quickly. I'm just kind of I don't know, really awed and inspired by the willingness to share when we approach these scientists and just the the depth of knowledge and commitment to this work. Fascinating.
2: Not only did the homology execs tell us about their technology to potentially deliver CRISPR cures to the brain, they offered to let University of Toronto researchers try it on Bryson's mouse model when it's ready for testing. That's amazing.
5: That's really amazing. (laughs) really amazing
2: so I don't know do you do you feel like I mean I've kind of been doing this journey for, for quite a while and you're more involved this week yeah. um, probably learning a lot this week mm-hmm. but and, and I have found like I kind of go on this roller coaster where I get really excited like convinced that yes definitely there's gonna be a cure and then other times where you know someone says something and I just feel so disheartened but it's so far off or it won't help but like kind of how, how do you feel right now
5: yeah I know right now I feel very hopeful I've been on the same up and down path even just this week um, with what might work and and then I hear it might not work and then I hear to be, you know, to go all in and be very optimistic and then I hear, don't be too optimistic or it's years away. Um, and there's probably some middle ground in there. That's the reality, but um, no, at this very moment, I feel extremely optimistic and excited and also to know that these are scientists who are taking rigorous approaches.
2: Yeah for sure right so yeah there's all these therapies going on and obviously there's you know we don't want to do anything we don't want to do anything risky like I think we're pretty Mm -hmm. risk averse when it comes to Bryson and especially when you think about the fact that his disorder is not he's not getting worse over time so we Mm -hmm. can afford to be patient but someday it's gonna be something that really changes his life Mm mm-hmm
5: changes his life changes Connor's life you know and ultimately will change him but he's still Bryson and if we can just give him a bit of a boost and like we exercise to be fit right we eat proper foods to be healthy I think would we think of this as being so different from that when it's tested and proven to be safe Why would this be so different from a vitamin, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Giving him the best chance at independence and choice making. And I, I, yeah, I don't know that we would think of it much differently than that.
2: When I get back to Toronto, I call Denise from Cure Grin and share everything I've learned not just about the science, but about where we need to prioritize to take our foundation to the next level. And Denise has a question for me. Would I consider stepping into a bigger role at Cure Grin and leading the organization alongside her? She thinks leveraging all the work I've done for Bryson could make a huge difference in the lives of all our kids. And listing me as Cure Grin's co-lead could help with our Chan Zuckerberg application. So we agree that I'll be Kiergrin's CEO and Denise will be president. We spend the next couple of weeks getting ourselves ready to apply for the grant. And it's more than the application itself. We're a brand new organization, so this also involves writing and building a website, launching social media channels, and getting ready to start raising funds. It's a lot of work, but we get the application in and wait. We're also waiting patiently for the Bryson mouse. Graham had promised to invite Laura and me back into the lab when the first mice are ready for testing. He thought this would take five or six months. But breeding a colony of these mice is proving more difficult than originally thought. Ten months go by. Then one day, in early 2020, I get an email. The Bryson mouse is ready for testing. Next time on Unlocking Bryson's Brain. Long-term planning.
5: Those are two very different futures and require us to think of his future very differently and what we need to do to help prepare for that.
2: Tough conversations.
5: He's going to need like intensive care for the rest of his life. And the financial ramifications of that are something that I don't think
6: you have budgeted for.
2: And major breakthroughs. We got some news. Shut up. Are you serious? Are you serious? There's just one more episode left in this season of Unlocking Bryson's Brain. But if you enjoy this format of immersive, serialized storytelling, I want to give you a recommendation for your next listen. Uncover is CBC Podcast's take on true crime. Each season deals with a different case, and I've devoured them all. Start with season one, which deals with Nexium, the controversial multi level marketing company that doubled as the recruiting arm of an alleged sex cult. Find Uncover wherever you listen to podcasts. Unlocking Bryson's Brain is hosted and written by me, Keith MacArthur. Our associate producer is Graham McDonald, who also does our mixing and sound design. Our digital producer is Emily Canal. Chris Oak is our story editor. Our video producer is Evan Agard. Original music in this episode by Graham McDonald. The senior producer of CBC Podcasts is Tanya Springer. And our executive producer is Arif Nurani. You can find bonus content for this podcast on Facebook. Find us at facebook.com slash Podcasts. To learn more about grin disorders, visit CureGrin.org. Do you have tips to help us unlock Bryson's brain or your own story about navigating the medical world with a rare or undiagnosed condition? We'd love to hear from you. Reach us at unlocking at cbc.ca.